Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast, and it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all got to check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, y'all. You ever heard of an amazing young woman by the name of Zinzi Smith? Well, I have. And her and I had just an amazing conversation on Beyonce's internet. I will have you know that 20-year-old Zinzi Smith has her own black woman-owned business for an entire year now teaching spin classes. And let me tell you, she's enthusiastic. She wants the world to know that she's ready to help you shed them pounds from Thanksgiving and Christmas and help you keep up with that New Year's resolution that all of us middle-aged people like to make while we're still making them. So I, for one, am going to try and take one of her classes, just $15 for an online class with Zinzi Smith. She also teaches in person in studios in Brooklyn and in Queens and NYC. And all around, I got to tell you, I am just in awe of her. So you can reach out to her on Spin With Zin. That's Spin With Z-I-N on TikTok and on Instagram. And let her know that you heard it here on Black Fluid Poets Podcast. And you're trying to shed them pounds and keep up that New Year's resolution. You feel me? So give her a shout out. Let me know how it went. Hey, y'all. It's your fan, Black Fluid Poet, a.k.a. John S. Blake, coming to you live from my humble abode of books. You know, when I was 16, my mom was in prison. My dad had the HIV virus and was running the streets. My sister, one of my brothers... Was sitting at a kitchen table smoking crack with me. I was not a good kid. I was kind. I was considerate. I was respectful. But I was in a dark place. I didn't trust any adult. I didn't find other people reliable. Um... I based the people around me on whether or not I could take advantage of them or manipulate them because that's what I was taught. I was a survivor. I didn't have a bunch of younger siblings. I had a seven-year-old niece, but um, I didn't have those run-of-the-mill responsibilities, clean your house, make sure you're home from school at this time. You know, I had a different life. I had a life filled with toxicity and violence and hopelessness, and degradation, and I didn't have any hope. Ralph Jarl, 
was not a kid like me. Ralph Jarl is a 16-year-old boy in Kansas City. And he is, in every stretch of the imagination, the complete opposite of everything I was at 16. Good in school, taking college courses, you know, AP, played in band, you know, was home at the right time, wasn't in trouble, had no arrests, wasn't into drugs. Just a good, decent American citizen. And he is just, you know, doing right by his mom. His mom's like, yo, go pick up your little brothers at this house. He goes to the house and he thinks he's at the right house, but he gets, you know, maybe spun around a little bit. He don't know where he is. And he rings the doorbell. And then gets shot through the door. And then the person from the house comes outside and shoots him again. And it makes you wonder, like, well, man, this kid must have did something. What'd he do? Nothing. Knocked on the wrong door. Evidently, he got lost. He wasn't the, the home where his little brothers were. He's, he just went to the wrong house. And this elderly man shot him at point-blank range and then went outside to finish the job. For some reason, I don't know if he thought he was done or if he realized he had done the wrong thing, but he goes in the house and young Ralph Jarl finds the wherewithal, finds the perseverance to get up and go to another person's house and ask for help. He can't get help at that house. He goes to another house, bleeding, from the face, from a bullet, and from his arm. Goes to another house and doesn't get help. Goes to a third house. A third house while bleeding from his face with a bullet lodged possibly somewhere in his skull. Gets to the third house and they'll help him as long as he lays on the ground with his hands above his head. You heard me right. You heard me right. A 16-year-old boy unarmed, makes the grand mistake of ringing the wrong doorbell, is shot for it, and then is refused help at two houses, and then is only helped at a third house if he lays his bloody, battered, dying ass on the ground with his hands above his head. And why would you say, why would you say this happens? Well, could be because there's just fear in America. You know, it's just fear, crime. You know, anything can happen. I just don't know. Or, dare I say something a little more logical. What I haven't talked about is the fact that Ralph Jarl is a dark-skinned black boy. In the Midwest. Fighting an uphill battle against stereotypes that have been around Forever. Black boys are violent. I'll never forget when the crack epidemic happened. You know, the one that the U.S. government allowed to happen. And the Clintons, plural, were trying to pass their three strikes bill. I'll never forget Hillary. God, what a place of privilege she came from when she said, we can talk about how they got this way, but first... 
we must understand that these are super predators incapable of remorse. And we can talk about how they got that way, but first they must be brought to heal. And I don't mean heal like healing from a wound. I mean heal like you tell a dog to heal, to obey, to surrender. So don't don't make the mistake of thinking I'm coming from some, you know, democratic perspective. It, this this isn't about left or right. This is just about right and wrong. Now this this case could stop right there and be like, "Oh, this is atrocious." But no, no, no. It wouldn't have the signature of Uncle Sam without some seriously astounding additions to this news story. So this man, 80-year-old white man, shoots this 16-year-old black boy for ringing his doorbell. That's the crime, mind you. He didn't try to walk into man's house. He wasn't banging absurdly. It wasn't the middle of the night. It was 10 p.m. and he rang the wrong doorbell. The man shoots him through the door for being black and ringing his doorbell. That's what happened. And then after, of course, any potential danger is removed because you've already shot him in the face, sir. <laughs> if he was a robber, he ain't coming in right now, okay? He's, he's got a bullet in his face. No, the man goes outside and shoots him again. Just to let him know, maybe to remind him and the rest of black America, don't knock on my door. Don't interrupt my American peace. So then, you know, of course the police are called. And young Ralph Yarl is taken to the hospital. And in the meantime, they have a talking to with the homeowner. (laughs) They bring him in most likely without handcuffs. But they bring him in for questioning. He fills out some paperwork, he makes a statement, and they send him home. I would love to think that they sent him home because they just didn't have all the information. But they had it. An unarmed boy came to this man's house and he shot him for being on his doorstep. Period. Point blank. Well, they were going to bring it to the prosecutor, and while the prosecutor's deliberating on whether or not charges will be filed, they let this potential murderer go home. Home. Home after shooting someone in the face through a door. They let him go home. Do they supervise him? Do they tell him, hey, don't leave the state? Yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. They don't do nothing. This man packs up and goes away to Arizona for a little while. They don't even have him in custody. They don't have him in custody. Black people have been murdered for driving too fast, broken taillights, not using a signal, smoking, (laughs) eating ice cream in their own apartment, walking home from a store. Remember Zimmerman? Remember how he murdered Trayvon Martin? Remember how he stalked him? Remember him calling the 911 operator? And what did he say to the 911 operator? They always get away with it. 
I'm so tired of them getting away with it. Trayvon was dead an hour later. Remember Tatiana Jefferson in Texas? She left the door cracked open so she can get some air in the hot Texas house. And someone reported a possible break-in, which, you know, I'd be grateful to my neighbors. Hey, you know, look good looking out. And the cop shows up. <laughs> Sees, a, I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's a trauma response, y'all. This is so, it, the ridiculousness is at such a level that I am witless. I, I, I don't have the wits about me to respond maturely and appropriately with my emotions. So I apologize if these giggles sound insensitive. I, I really do. I'm, I'm not trying to offend anyone. The officer shoots Tatiana Jefferson through the fucking window. Through the window. Why? Because she's black. She has to be a robber. She must be a robber. This can't possibly be her fucking apartment. So he shoots her through the window. Renisha McBride. Man. Remember her? She was, uh, it was Dearborn or Deerhead, Michigan. She had a car accident at 4 o'clock in the morning. Fucking cold. She banged on somebody's door for help. She had to bang because it was 4 o'clock in the morning. She had to wake him up. She's banging on somebody's door. And the homeowner answered with a shotgun through the door. Killing Renisha McBride. He too wasn't arrested at first. George Zimmerman wasn't arrested at first. So you know what I see on the on the part of policing in America when the victim is black. Stop assuming that the victim had done something to deserve the violence and brutality that they have suffered. If there is one thing that could change my perspective on policing in America is for cops to treat every single person equally under the law. You show up on a scene, you find a kid with a bullet through his face who hasn't done anything wrong, who is obviously unarmed. You go to a homeowner, you say, what the fuck happened? You say, he was knocking on my door. So you shot him through the door? Well, I didn't know what he was about to do. Yeah, you're under arrest. I don't, the prosecutor will make up their mind later, but as of right now, you're going to jail. You're going to jail. You're going to jail right now. Y'all, I was arrested in the Bay Area for a warrant that had already been dismissed years before but was still on the record. And when I got pulled over, they took me to jail and then figured out the details. This man shot someone at point-blank range twice, once while the kid was down. And they were like, okay, well, we'll wait to hear back from the prosecutor. We'll let you know. Like, and the fact that this man up and booked it to Arizona speaks volumes. Now, has Arizona picked him up yet? Nope. Show ain't. He left one MAGA town for another MAGA town. And the MAGAites are just letting him be. And when everyone is being asked, 
What took you so fucking long? They're like, well, we had to, you know, process the scene. We had to do a thorough investigation. Man, look, just say you didn't think the white man did anything wrong. Just say that. Say, well, the victim was a young black boy, so most likely he was trying to commit a crime and had it coming. Just just say it, man. Just say, let's not let's not go through the whole rigmarole of, of the bullshit speeches and the podiums and the thoughts and prayers and the you know, let's keep the peace and you know Ralph Yarl wouldn't want you to burn down the target. Let's not even have that discussion. I'm at a place in my life to where if this neighborhood that Ralph Yarl was almost murdered in burnt to the ground by tomorrow morning, I would be completely okay with it. My conscience would be clear. Because at the point we're at, if something some sort of a response isn't as drastic as the act against blackness in this country, shooting a 16-year-old black boy for simply ringing your doorbell, the response should be as equally astounding like burning this motherfucker's house down. Like that bottom line. If you don't know how to be a homeowner, maybe you don't need to own a fucking house. Like I'm at a place where... Patience and tolerance are no longer an option. Nikki Finney wrote this poem about Rosa Parks and she said at, uh, I think the, the age she used was 43 or 46, but it was, she said at, at 40, 42, I want to say it was, she said at 42, your patience for fools razor thin. Well, y'all, I'm 52. So that means I, there, there's no more patience. I don't think I'm angry. And I've been tired for, God, at least a decade, especially when it comes to these topics. I mean, I started school. Um, I started school during Ferguson when Mr. Brown was shot multiple times by a police officer with the intent of killing him. Yeah, I said it. I said what I said. And now I'm just at a place where, you know, James Baldwin tried to talk about the fire next time. And when somebody asked him, well, what do you mean to say? He said, well, let me stop you right there. Yes, next time we're burning your house down. And this is it. This is the fire next time. Yes, the man will be arrested and maybe he will... Uh, go to prison. Maybe he'll serve what he deserves to serve, which is the rest of his life under the jail, along with Donald Trump and Clarence Thomas. But in the meantime, what I'm looking at is our response. We're still not tired enough. Because at this point, with this perfect storm of white privilege, of hegemonic forces, of, you know, class distinction, race, white supremacy, 
if we aren't utterly explosive in a knee-jerk reaction, we haven't had enough pain. And I am not, not directing this to black people whatsoever. Black people have been fighting since 1619, son. This ain't about black people right now. If you are white and you are listening to this, I'm talking to you. If you can get up and go to work the next day and it's business as usual, laughy, laughy, jokey, jokey, you still haven't embraced the fact that this is your country. And that if you haven't done anything to stop this type of violence, this is absolutely your doing. Because an abstention is permission for what is happening. To abstain from voting on such situations, to abstain from acting, to just be in the background, being a looky-loo right now, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. And I've often had to tell white friends, and I've lost white friends in the past over this, if your business, store, uh, guest house, house, apartment, gets ransacked in the midst of a riot, and that's what you're angry about, but you weren't pissed off when you heard what happened before said riot, then you had it coming. You're part of the problem, and I don't feel sorry for you. You need to get on the same page as those being oppressed. And if you haven't gotten on the same page, then you really still don't consider black Americans your fellow man. You just don't. If you're not out in these streets fighting over trans rights right now, you still don't get it. If the only time you were upset was when they overturned Roe v. Wade, you're a hypocrite. I don't know what it'll take for this country to get some get right. But I know peaceful protests and civil disobedience, it ain't enough. We're going to talk about something else after this break. Make some coin. Love y'all. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers... Um, see that um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because, yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care. Hey, Black Fluid Poet. Your fam, John Esplay, coming back to you live from the humble abode of books. Y'all, we gotta talk. I am 
going to be 53 on April 29th. And I want it all. I want calls, texts. I want stitches. I want duets on my TikTok. I want things sent to me from Instagram. I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate my life like I've never celebrated my life before. Y'all, this is the first time I'm going to have a birthday while simultaneously loving myself. And I'm so excited. I have never been excited to celebrate my own life. I want books and Cash App and Venmo and PayPal. And I want gift certificates to Barnes and Nobles and gift certificates to a Nike store and a Converse store. And I don't care. H&M, my favorite place in the world for clothes. That's right. I want it all. Because God damn it, I've been here five decades. And if nothing else, I've earned one day to smile and embrace my life, to look in the mirror and say, yo, you've been through hell and back, but I'm glad you're here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm still here, bitches. I'm st- hey, I'm still here. What? I swear, there's some days I think about ending it all, and then I think about the people who can't stand me and how absolutely thrilled they would be to find out I was no longer on this planet. Bitch, I stay alive just to see the miserable look on their face when I walk in the room. Just to see their negative comments when I post yet another video. Yep, I'm still breathing, bitches. <laughs> it feels good to be alive. And y'all, I got to tell you, being 52, that puts me in the category of Gen X. And Gen X, we, we got issues, y'all. We're going to talk a little bit about it. I posted a video the other day. Uh, someone made this little snide remark. Well, you just think it's traumatizing to, to leave a high school or home alone. And I laughed because I was like, bitch, I'm Gen X. <laughs> we were left home at five, okay? I distinctly remember stories my sister was telling me of how she panicked when as a newborn baby... My sister being eight years old, I began to have an asthma attack and she didn't know what to do because she was my babysitter. My mother was off at work and my eight-year-old sister, 10-year-old brother were both home watching me wheeze almost to death. Thank God my father came home and was able to get me to the hospital. But those are the kind of stories that so many Gen Xers have. We got left home for our parents to go to work. We came home to empty homes. We we were latchkey kids. We had the shoelace around the neck with the key or the key was under the mat or in the flower pot or what have you. You came home to an empty house and you locked the door behind you and you didn't answer the door. You didn't answer the phone because you couldn't let nobody know you were there by yourself because you could get your kids taken. But... We learned how to cook and clean. And we were like, by the time we were 16, we were getting our own apartments. Like we were on our fucking own. And our parents told us, you need to work it out, deal with it, walk it off, toughen up, straighten your back. Stop being a wimp. Stop complaining. Stop whining. Life is hard. Life ain't fair. Nothing's fair. Go, go. Go cry in the bathroom. Go go to your room if you're going to cry about it. Like, you want me to give you something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about if you want to cry. 
And you know why our parents treated us that way? I'll tell you why. Because our government treated our parents that way. When people said they didn't have enough money, the government said, make it work. When people said they weren't getting paid fairly at their jobs, the government said, well, life isn't fair. When people said, I need help, we had a president who said, ask not what your country could do for you, but what you could do for your country. And when we said to our parents, like, why do I have to do all of this stuff? Our parents were like, stop asking for shit. You're being ungrateful. Help your parents. That's the least you could do is help your parents. And God, it was a perfect scheme. Capitalism has been the perfect... It is the devil. It is, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled off was convincing people that he didn't exist. Capitalism is so slimy. Capitalism was so hardcore, and still is to this day, that our parents had to neglect their children just to produce enough in order to continue existing. They had to choose between losing their job and losing their kids. We need to stop as Generation X. We need to stop flexing about being able to do all of this adult shit at such a young age because the truth is we never wanted to do it. We never wanted to do it. I remember being five and six and crying for my mom wishing my dad was home, wishing there was somebody to talk to. I remember the the small burns that happened when I tried to make my own food. We don't talk about the mistakes that happened. We, We like to joke about almost burning the house down. We like to joke about things breaking or flooding a room. We don't talk about the times that kids were home alone and fucked around and swallowed some bug spray and died or got bleach in their eyes and were permanently blind or, you know, fucked around some other chemical or you know, burnt themselves, you know what I mean? Um, My niece Damaris, I remember she was staying at somebody else's house and was neglected and there was water boiling on the stove and she grabbed the handle. She was three, two or three. And she grabbed the handle and a pot of boiling water fell on her and she had suffered burns down one arm and half her neck. There is nothing glamorous or prideful about forcing children to survive or being forced to survive and managing to still be here. That's not really um, an achievement. And I'll tell you why. Because we got lucky. We were human beings with underdeveloped brains, barely old enough to write in cursive, but being expected to cook dinner to clean an entire house. We were expected to be self-sufficient, do our own homework, clean up our house, make a meal, you know, not make any mistakes. Now, mind you, adults make mistakes all the time, but kids weren't allowed to make mistakes. What do you mean you opened the door? What do you mean you answered the phone? What do you mean you lost your key? We don't have room for these fucking mistakes. I remember losing my key the third time, and my mother, I thought that beating was going to last forever. And I, I, sometimes I imagine my mother feeling shame and guilt for having to be so hard on me because it was the only way we were going to make it. And it's the only way we were going to make it because the government didn't give a fuck enough to help my mother with childcare, to maybe give her more money on welfare, to maybe 
afford her some way to go to school while still taking care of her own kid, you know, jobs with daycare centers and maybe medical benefits so she didn't have to worry about all my hospital bills being an asthmatic. I often think about all the parents who have kids at home and, and are slinging dope from their house. And people going, oh, that's fucked up, man. That's not how you raise a kid. Really? What's the alternative? The kid just sitting there by themselves? At least her mama's home. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But one thing I am tired of doing is brainwashing myself into thinking that I'm somehow better because this generation can't handle the stress we can handle. You know why they can't handle the stress we can handle? Because their parents are fucking home. Gen Z kids are the children of Gen Xers. Like, we didn't raise our kids the way we were raised because why? Ding, ding, ding. We knew it was wrong. Our kids can't do what we did because we are not as brutal as the government was to our parents, which forced our parents to be that brutal with us. We weren't allowed to express feelings of depression or anxiety. We had it. We only think that it's so much bigger now because kids are actually allowed to talk about it. Kids are actually allowed to see a therapist. They could actually go to the guidance counselor and say they're having problems at home. We weren't allowed. Remember what our parents said? What goes on in this house stays in this house. That's family business. Don't you tell nobody what goes on in this house. We were invested in individualism. In each citizen of this country being their own island, having to fend for self. We weren't allowed to be a collective. And slowly, over the next couple of generations, they got rid of unions, they got rid of our factory jobs. The police brutality got worse. The drugs are, are just unfathomably worse than they were. And the biopolitics is at a point where we help some live while allowing others to die. This government is bought and paid for by people who don't give a fuck about us. And we've taught our children well. We've taught them how to fight. We didn't waste their time with cleaning the house or making dinner. We made sure that we were home for our kids as best we could be. Now, some of us still, you know, we got the teenager taking care of the young one until mama gets home from work. And that's how it's got to be because our government is still the way it is. I'm not saying that you are a less loving parent because your kids got to be home alone. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying let's just not make that a character asset that your kid is forced to live an adult's life in a child's body. If you do have kids that are taking a more responsibility because there's less adult supervision at home, tell your kids, thank you. Don't treat them like this is just their fucking job. Don't act like this is just what's expected of every kid. It's not. And if your kid is doing it and doing it well, if you're coming home to a clean house and you're coming home to the meat out of the freezer and ready to go, or if you're coming home to a full dinner and the house ain't burnt down, please hug your child. Tell them you don't know what you do without them. Tell them you're sorry 
that they're taking on so much responsibility, but you understand that they're only doing it because they love you. They're doing it because they're loyal to you. They're doing it because you're the person that feeds them. You're the person that clothes them. And they acknowledge it. It's not out of fear. They're doing it because it's the right thing to do. Even if they bitch and complain about it, they're still doing it. Tell your kids, unlike our parents, you remember the mistakes you made and you're sorry. Our parents, what? I never did that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You just can't bring yourself to admit it. What we've done with Gen Z, man, I I just, I never saw it coming. An amazing job. The information we've given them, the truth we've told them, the experiences we've shared with them, it's forced them to grow up in a different kind of maturity than we had. We could live in an apartment by ourselves where we couldn't decipher how we felt. We could go to a job interview and pretend to be confident, but we didn't know anything about self-love. We knew how to take on the bully and fight for our siblings, but we didn't know how to fight for a city, for a state, for a nation, for a planet the way Gen Z is. What we've done by what some people would call coddling our children is we've given them less things to concern themselves with or distract them from the the, the purposes they really have on changing the structure of this system. And for that, Gen X, for that, I'm so fucking proud of us. With all of our mistakes and the times we did things to our kids we shouldn't have. But we're here now. And we ain't taking all the credit. But goddammit, surviving our childhood, being able to have kids, and giving them something better than what we had, we'll take that. Love y'all. Remember to love yourself. Have a good day.